Welcome to Auckland Conversations, ideas for becoming the world's most livable city. Uh, the, they, they provide an opportunity to, to inspire and stimulate uh, people's thinking about the challenges facing Auckland. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, when we focus on the environment and the 10-year budget and the Auckland Plan 2050 consultation, that's the 30-year plan, um, both of which consultations have opened today and will run to the 28th of March. Um, the Council is very keen to hear from as many of you as possible on all consultation topics. And um, if you uh, haven't already submitted, there's a number of ways of doing so. Um, there is a website, which is akhaveyoursay.nz, um, to find out more about the consultation and to provide your feedback before the end of March. Um, alternatively, there are copies of the feedback form at the back um, of um, uh, our space here tonight, uh, and information can be found on the back of the, uh, uh, of the hall too. Um, I feel as though we should have a bit of a kind of like a telethon counter going here that we're not going to leave the room until there's another 100 submissions. But, um, uh, but I hope there will be a high degree of enthusiasm uh, for submissions generated by um, uh, our proceedings this evening. I'd also uh, very much like to welcome all those people who are joining us online um, because we are being web streamed tonight on the Auckland Conversations website and also the New Zealand Herald website. First, though, a few housekeeping things. In the unlikely event of an emergency, an alarm will sound and will be directed out of the building by our ushers. Um, obviously, the two main exits are out that way and up those stairs and out um, to Artea Square. Um, bathrooms are located at the back of the room, uh, over there on, on um, my left, your right. Uh, easy to find those. And uh, please could you turn all mobile phones to silent, um, but um, we do very much encourage you to still use them, um, and, uh, and I'll explain about how we're going to use them in a mo. And um, thanks to um, uh, the Auckland partner, uh, author, um, South Base Construction, and the design partner uh, for this evening, Racine, and indeed um, all the program sponsors for uh, the very extensive and continuing um, Auckland Conversations. It's my uh, very great pleasure to welcome up our first speaker, uh, who is the Mayor, Phil Goff, um, to uh, officially open this Auckland conversation. So a very warm welcome for Phil, please. Thank you. Uh, kia ora koutou and good evening and welcome to everybody here tonight uh, to Auckland Conversations. Uh, can I particularly uh, acknowledge uh, any elected members here? I know Councillor Penny Hulse is down here, the Chair of Environment and Community at Council, and I think the strongest advocate we have on Council for improving our environment. So, Penny, thank you very much for the work that you do. Um, to to uh, Rick... Rod, thank you very much. You're a, you're a, you're a wonderful substitute for Bernard. Uh, I deeply admire both of you and what you do and your economic analysis and your work through the media. So it's great to have you here as an MC and effectively participating on the panel, which was your original task. Can I also acknowledge uh, Nicola Toki, the Threatened Species Ambassador for the Department of Conservation, and Professor Margaret Stanley from Auckland University, 
and our former New Zealander of the Year and founder of Sea Cleaners, Hayden Smith. Hayden, right in front of me, you won't be able to miss him. Um, can you secondly please accept my apologies? Um, this meeting was originally to be held downtown at the uh, Viaduct Events Centre, and that's exactly where I'm heading uh, and have to be there at 6.15 uh, tonight for uh, another meeting of a different nature with a, a special guest from the United States. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I just want to say that uh, these conversations are really important, and Rod's point that we really need to get people to have their say and to complete that feedback form. It's so important. Uh, there is a natural tendency, I think, whenever we want to do more, and it does cost money to do more, for people to say, no, no, we don't want to pay any more. Uh, I want people such as yourselves who are committed to the environment to get out there to have your say and say what you believe about what we are proposing to do that will make the environment a better place for generations to come. Last, uh, late last week I spoke at the Mount Eden War Memorial Hall to a group of New Zealand seniors and a group that I probably thought would be less focused on the environment, was actually more passionate about the environment than any other issue that we are facing. And this is a symbol of, um, of a change that's occurring in our society. I think when I was uh, a young lad, environment was regarded as a kind of an interesting issue, but it was very much on the fringe. Environment today is mainstream. And I think we have enormous acceptance that our responsibility as a generation is to pass on the earth that we inher inherited in a better state, not a degraded state, to those who follow us. And that means that the issues that have been for far too long in the too hard basket have to be taken out of there, have to be confronted and have to be dealt with. And I just want to touch on a couple of those issues. Uh, the first is the issue of water quality. Now, you know, I'm, I'm one of those New Zealanders that believe that our birthright is to be able to enjoy our beaches, and I'm a person that believes that while our branding might not be accurate, clean, green, 100% pure, the idea is not to change our branding, but to make reality match that branding, and we've got to begin with water quality. Because for 100 years in our city, the water has been pouring off the roadway, taking with it the oil and the dog feces and everything else into the harbour. Stormwater off the roofs of too many of our dwellings are infiltrated into the stormwater system. And every time it rains in Auckland, instead of the normal 16 beaches, and that sounds terrible, 16 beaches are permanently not right to swim in, not safe to swim in, we suddenly get 70 or 80 beaches not safe to swim in. And we have this new groundbreaking program called Safe Swim, so that we can, for the first city in New Zealand, in real time, we know where and when it is safe to swim in our city. It's much more accurate, 30 times more accurate than the old system. And what it shows is that when we have those downpours, so many of our beaches aren't fit for swimming in, and that isn't good enough. So what we're proposing to do in this 10-year budget is to put a targeted rate to improve water quality. It adds up to $1.30 a week on properties valued at a million dollars, less if your property is valued less than that, more if it's valued uh, at more than that. 
But what it enables us to do is to clean up those beaches, reduce the wastewater overflows by up to 90% within 10 years, instead of the 30 years when it was expected to happen over. We need to do it. We need to do it now. Secondly, I want to talk about the other targeted rate, and that is to deal with the problems that we have with disease that is threatening the survival of some of our most iconic species, kauri dieback, and pest and weed infiltration to the extent that 70% of our significant ecological areas don't have a proper pest control in place. And the opossums are decimating the native bush and we are losing, we are losing the inheritance that we got of a beautiful native bush in the Auckland area. And you've got a choice. You could put another $21 a year into that, or better still, you could put $47 a year into that. And we can improve the risk of cowrie dieback being contained uh, to about 80 to 90%. At the moment, the risk, uh, the risk of contain, or the ability to contain it, I should say, is tiny. We can stop cowrie dieback. It's spread by mud on boots. It's not myrtle rust. It's not spread by the wind. We do have the ability to stop it, and we must do that because the spread in the last five years in the Waitakere's has moved from 9% of trees, kauri trees infected to 18%. It will continue to accelerate if we don't act. So with those small targeted rates, we can make a big difference. We are intending to spend more than a billion dollars more on water quality in this 10-year budget, and we want to spend hundreds of millions more on pre protecting and preserving our environment. I want to touch on just a couple of other issues. One is our Million Trees program, uh, and we put in the ground last year 170,000 trees, natives predominantly. This year, we will put in the ground 550,000 trees, and within the three years that we promised the million trees, we will well exceed that target. That's about a carbon sink. That's about protecting uh, our, our vulnerable areas from uh, wash, washing into the sea with, and creating siltation. It's about greening and making more beautiful our city. The last thing that I want to raise is, of course, the wider issue of climate change. 40% of our global emissions are coming from cars. We need more electric heavy rail. We need electric light rail. We need to convert our buses from diesel to electric. We need to convert our cars to electric. And I proudly drive a 100% electric car. And we need to change our way of living so that we intensify our housing around the major public transport arterial routes. And I'll maybe finish on this point. Last week I had the privilege of opening 33 apartments called the Daisy Apartments at the top of Dominion Road. They are based on 350 square metres of land. And for those 33 apartments, guess how many private parking spaces they have? None. They have two parking places for shed cars and plenty of parking places for bikes and scooters. And I, and I know that Mike Hosking thinks that this wouldn't be appropriate for him because he wouldn't want to leave his Ferrari out in the rain, 
but this is the way our city will go in the future because any of you that have lived in a big city before know that living in a big city is not about having lots of car parks under your apartment, but it's about having alternative ways of travelling that are more environmentally sensitive. So that's just a, a, a few of the things. There's much more that you're going to discuss tonight. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you in particular to our MC and to our panel members, and I hope you find tonight's discussions both informative and stimulating. No reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Um, thank you very much indeed, Phil, for um, giving us uh, that uh, very important scene setting, uh, particularly around the two targeted rates, and I'll come back to them. And um, I'm sure you'll have a very uh, pleasant dinner with a certain retired gentleman who plays some golf, uh, but, but not the former prime minister, although he'll be there too. Um, anyway, um, a little bit more housekeeping. Um, tonight, uh, I'll be introducing you and, uh, to our panelists, and I'll be welcoming them up um, shortly, and they very, have very extensive backgrounds um, across uh, in varied environmental areas. So we will have a discussion uh, with our panelists on some key environmental topics and the targeted rates, and then we'll open up that discussion to you uh, from the floor. Now, there's going to be two ways for you to contribute. Um, the first one is the high-tech version, which is um, slido.com. So if you have a smartphone, if you go to slido, slido.com, and put in the event code, uh, hashtag environment, um, and I think it's going to be case-sensitive, so you'll probably need that capital E in my experience of Slido. Um, and um, you can submit questions that way. Uh, I'll be seeing, and indeed the panelists will be seeing those um, questions coming up here. They'll be very likely moderated. Uh, they'll be ranked, so uh, you'll have a chance to, uh, on Slido to um, see the ones which uh, are he heading up the list and help vote for those because I'll be tending to concentrate on uh, the ones that um, seem to be of the most interest to people. So that's the high-tech version. Um, but we've obviously got the good old-tech version as well, so we do have two people with microphones. So um, if you do have a question, don't look to me. Look for somebody who's standing up with a microphone and flag them down, because I'll be looking for those people um, to see where the microphones are um, and the questions. Uh, you're also, of course, very strongly encouraged um, to tweet. So the hashtag for that is um, hashtag AKLConversations um, or a, a hashtag AKHaveYourSay. Then there's an awful lot of um, after media, if you like, or the chance to revisit this. So all Auckland Conversation events are um, very uh, well documented uh, in, in uh, AV terms. And um, you can go back and look at uh, the proceedings for this evening, or indeed the vast menu of previous conversations, uh, on the Auckland Conversations um, website. And a full transcript and captioning of the event and presentations will also be available um, on the website because, of course, the council ensures that um, all this is um, available and inclusive and accessible to um, as many people as possible. Um, I'd like to take a moment, if I can, to, uh, and if I may, to um, set a little bit of context for tonight's discussions. Um, the, uh, as uh, I've described and the mayor's described, um, 
the consultations are now open for um, the 10-year plan, but then also for the 30-year plan. And so tonight we're considering um, the environmental um, input into that and the environmental uh, work to be done in that. Um, and there is the very particular focus on these two targeted rates. Um, just to recap very briefly on them, uh, for the uh, average uh, house price in Auckland, the rate would be $1.30 a week, um, but that would generate um, over 10 years another $452 million, um, money that the council can't fund elsewhere, i.e. by more borrowing. Um, so that would um, significantly fast forward um, that work on dealing with um, stormwater um, and bring that um, time frame back from 30 years to 10. So half a billion dollars sounds a lot, but it's $1.30 a week for lots of people, um, makes that possible. The second one is the environment, uh, environmental initiative, and there's two options there, $21 um, um, uh, uh, did I say, yeah, sorry, I, I was saying, I said $1.30 a week, that's true for water, that's $66 a year. Um, for um, the environment initiative, that's an extra $21 a year per household. Um, and um, plan A would raise, or option A would raise another $136 million on top of the base of $109 million. And that extra money, as um, Phil said, would go um, particularly for dealing with um, cowrie dieback because there's a huge amount of science to work out on that um, but yet and also how we would then um, take that out into the field in terms of our practices out in the bush to make sure that works. But there's also a little bit of extra support in there for conservation community groups. And then there's option B, which would be $47 uh, per household a year, and that would bring in an additional $311 million um, for those two programs. But plan B adds more. So there would be um, a pest animal eradication project on, on Kauau Island and Waiheke Island, and um, a, a variety of pest uh, control programs um, on, out on Great Barrier as well. And there would be some increase, not a big one, um, sadly, um, in our uh, marine ecological survey, survey and, and freshwater biosecurity programs. So I hope the message, don't worry about the detail of that. There's lots more of um, information about that at the back or indeed online. But I think the really important message here is that um, small sums of money uh, raised collectively in some way uh, actually adds up to a really useful amount of money uh, in these two cases to deal with some very particular environmental issues. And um, so uh, when we have the panelists up here, we'll be um, uh, starting on that question of those targeted rates, but then of course moving far wider to discuss the whole ecological, environmental and environmental context um, for our region in these plans. Let me now just set um, a bit of context about that very much bigger picture. Um, there are high hopes that we will have legislation and thus policy and climate commissions and the rest um, that will um, help steer us towards being net zero carbon as a nation by 2050. This is an extraordinary challenge um, for the rural community, of course, because 49% of those emissions currently are from their ruminant animals. Um, but it's an equal challenge for us um, in urban communities because um, 
we've got lots of work to do, not only on transport, um, which uh, is a substantial part, ground transport is a substantial part of our greenhouse gas emissions, um, but also on energy use. Uh, we have um, pretty weak um, energy efficiency standards, for example, in our building codes. Um, there's lots of work to do on um, how we heat um, um, buildings or, or how we generate heat for industrial processes. It goes not on and on. And as I'm traveling around the country, because I spend a lot of time in the primary sector um, as well as um, in cities, um, the basic message I am always trying to convey is that we need each other. We can't possibly meet these great goals um, if we just say uh, to the rural community, oh, we'll leave it all to you because there's not much we can do in cities. Um, or um, if they say, well, it's really hard to deal with these animals, uh, and so we're going to leave it all to you in the cities, neither works because we're not going to meet these great goals unless we are supporting each other and encouraging each other um, across New Zealand. Uh, is the very simple message there. Um, a very important report is going to be coming out in June from the Productivity Commission um, on um, pathways to um, our, uh, on our transition um, to a low-carbon economy. And I just want to read for you, uh, to you this very brief quote from the original issues paper on this subject that the Productivity Commission produced last June. Um, and it's one that um, I think really encapsulates um, how big the challenge is. The shift from the old economy to a new low emissions economy will be profound and widespread, transforming land use, the energy systems, production methods and technology, regulatory frameworks and institutions, and here's the big one, and a business and political culture. That's the Productivity Commission saying this, and I wholeheartedly endorse that, um, because that's the um, enormous um, scale and um, importance of these big transitions. So what might that look like in an urban environment? And um, when, I, when we're looking at cities and how um, big and important of uh, built environment it obviously is uh, around the world, and how, um, how this huge migration to cities is continuing um, because that's where uh, op economic opportunity is, that's where um, you get a big network effect, so you get lots of innovation, lots of science, all those things. Um, how might that look like? And um, the way I simply describe that uh, to people is that um, we've really got to bring nature back into our cities because we've got to make our cities largely self-sufficient for energy, food and other resources. We've really got to get really serious about a circular economy uh, whereby we um, reuse, recycle and repurpose everything we do. Um, so in bringing nature uh, back into the cities in such a way, we would be also be making them delightful and inspiring places to live and work. And I don't mean by bringing nature, just planting a few more trees. Um, this is um, about bringing um, natural systems back into our cities. So um, more um, stormwater treatment in, in wetland areas, for example, rather than pumping everything back to Mangere. Um, and above all, that when we bring nature back into our cities in this way, uh, we'll be, it'll, that'll help us restore our relationship with and our appreciation of the ecosystem. 
Now, Auckland does have plans. For example, there's the Low Carbon Strategic Action Plan, first um, produced in 2014 and updated last year. And one of the goals there is to reduce um, Auckland's um, greenhouse gas emissions per person, per resident, per year, from the current seven tonnes a year to three tonnes by 2040. There's a number of problems with that goal, not the least of which is uh, in 2043 tons is still far too much if we're trying to get to net zero by 2050. Um, but the real problem is um, that Copenhagen is already on 2.5 tons and plans to be carbon neutral by 2025. So that's what um, leading cities are doing around the world. Um, then we have to consider the Hauraki Gulf. Um, it's not just a question of um, depleting fish stocks out there um, or the um, silting up of uh, rivers and estuaries um, because of soil being washed out from paddocks. Um, the Hauraki Gulf is really struggling. A fabulous piece of work has been done in recent years. Um, this is um, Sea Change, which is a collaborative plan to deliver the world's first integrated marine and land spatial plan. But it's died a death um, because of the inability of the local councils around the Hauraki Gulf and central government to work out how to um, implement it. And yet Auckland um, is one of the most extraordinary cities in the world um, as we head towards a home for, say, two million people. Um, because of its physical location on its three harbors, its two big ranges of bush, black sands on one side, white sands on the other, um, um, and all the um, great glories of our, our land, our, our water, our hinterland, and our biodiversity, but all are considerably under threat. So um, that's um, the challenge, um, but that's also the reality of what we're working with. Um, and these two plans, the 10-year plan and the 30-year plan, uh, will help um, guide us. Both those plans are actually, to be quite frank, in my view, incredibly weak on the environment. Um, so I hope that this evening, um, as a result of our conversations and the result of the sort of things that you're already thinking about, because that's why you're here, that's why you've come this evening, um, that we can um, really get in some terrific submissions uh, to, to really um, crank up these two plans um, into something um, uh, far more beneficial to the environment. Phew, I got all that off my chest. Right. No, no, sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't pausing for applause. I was only pausing for a breath. Um, and uh, so now, how, as I've done my grandstanding, it's time to welcome up our panelists. So if all four would like to step on up, it would be a great pleasure to introduce you. So a big hand as they come on up, please, and I'll introduce them once they're all seated. Now, um, I um, am just going to introduce um, all four of them um, in a row, and then I'm going to go back and ask each of them just to describe what they do uh, in their life, in their work around these issues. So on my uh, far right is John Morrow, uh, who joined the panel because I got dropped from the panel. <laughs> so John is uh, Chief Sustainability Officer for Auckland Council. A, a very big hand for John, please. Thank you. Uh, 
Next to John is uh, Associate Professor Margaret Stanley from the University of Auckland. Um, Margaret runs a research group um, that explores a wide range of community ecology issues um, in the School of um, Biological Sciences at the University, a great blogger. Do follow her. She put up a great blog about this evening. Uh, a big hand for Margaret, please. Thank you. Um, next is Nicola Toki from the Department of Conservation and prior to that, Forest and Bird. And I have to be very careful how I introduce her because it's important how I put these words together. Um, she is not a species ambassador who is threatened, so she's not the threatened species ambassador. She is the threatened species ambassador, so, uh, and who's been very busy with Takahe in recent days, which I'm sure she'll tell you about. Uh, a very big hand for uh, Nicola, please. And um, on my immediate right, it's a great pleasure to welcome um, Hayden Smith, who's one of the trustees of Sea Cleaners, who over the past 15 years have done prodigious work um, cleaning up uh, container loads, about 40 of them, I think, is the number, um, of, uh, or, uh, no, it's far more than that, I'll leave him to give you the numbers, um, of um, rubbish um, from the Gulf and elsewhere. So a very big hand to Hayden, please. Thank you. Um, I'll just start with John. Um, the elevator pitch about your job. Uh, sorry, I... not, you're, not you're pitching for another one or a better one. It's the <laughs> one you've got. Just wait till the end of this, right? Um, That's right. So, Kiara Tato, it's a real pleasure and honor to be with this panel with you, Rod. In my mind, I feel like I'm a professional pinch hitter. And, um, and in, in my mind, I feel like I'm almost Rod Orm, just a tiny bit, or maybe Bernard Hickey. <laughs> Um, but I don't think that would pass for an answer. So um, as Chief Sustainability Officer uh, for Council, I, I'm going to just go off leash a little because I didn't really plan for these uh, remarks. Um, I'm a bit of a last-minute addition here. Um, I'm here to, to both deliver integrated sustainability across the Council family, working together with our internal and external partners, and to check and challenge and really push us to do more. Um, it's really great to hear the mayor and you, Rod, and hopefully the panel as well, saying, you know what, we're doing a pretty good job, but honestly, the scale of the problem, what we need to do to get to where we want to go, requires all hands on deck, requires serious ambition, and uh, requires us to work together. So I'm hoping that I play some role like that. Thank you very much indeed. A big hand for John. I was just going to say um, Margaret. I'm going to go up a much uh, fewer floors than John went there and, and keep my elevator pitch nice and short. Um, so uh, <laughs> I do research at the University of Auckland and I guess my research area that has evolved um, over um, years of uh, moving passion, I guess, is to make a difference to our environment and that has moved me from research into invasive species and pest management, but then into urban ecology and really starting to try to work out uh, the impacts of uh, humans on uh, ecology and ecosystems and how we can mitigate that by involving people and really connecting people with nature. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nicola. Kia ora koutou. So I'm Nicola Tuki. I have this odd title of being the Department of Conservation's Threatened Species Ambassador. Uh, you may wonder why we need one, um, and I guess that's kind of my problem. I'm coming to the panel with a problem, which is that despite the fact that we all consider our native wildlife to be part of our kind of national identity, and that's been proven in some pretty impressive international research, 
uh, with more than 4,000 threatened species in New Zealand and another 3,000 we just actually haven't counted and we don't know enough about, we are facing a rather large biodiversity crisis. And yet when you go out and survey the public of New Zealand, 70% of us think it's all sunshine and lollipops out there. So um, we have a real disconnect between the reality of our situation with our beautiful native wildlife from the charismatic megafauna like Takahe um, to the tiny little myriad critters that we um, may find in our backyard. So I, I think part of the reason that I'm here tonight is to not just talk about why it's important to invest in the things that define us as a nation. And in Auckland particularly, um, you, might, you live in the most ethnically diverse city in New Zealand, mm. but probably the most biodiversity of New Zealand as well. And um, originally I'm from Southland, I moved up here terrified, it's like moving to the moon to come to Auckland um, and was blown away by, the, by the, the gulf, the islands, the you know, Hotaru, Little Barrier Island, you've got some of the best things here and it's important I think to be able to put a stamp on it and say we care about this and we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Fine, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Hayden. Thank you, and it is an absolute pleasure to be given the opportunity to, to be up here with, with you all as well. And um, Back in the year 2000, uh, we recognised that there was actually a problem in our water that hadn't been discussed, and that is how much plastic and rubbish was just floating out here in, in the Waitemata Harbour. We've been out every single day pretty much, or five days a week rather, to take action towards cleaning it up, engaging local communities and, and driving positive change through that action of, of doing so. And with the support of, of many communities, certainly throughout the region, we've, we've started to tell and, and create a very, very positive project, which is just gaining enormous traction and, and momentum at the moment. And we're just really pleased with certainly what our ambitious goals are and that we're moving forward towards doing that. At the moment, uh, we plan on having 10 boats around the country by 2020. We've got four at the moment, so we're on, on target. We've just got to keep raising the, the funding to enable our, us to do what we do. Um, and certainly, I know we're, we're touching on, on funding soon within that, and I'll, I'll have a bit more to say about that. But I, I just could not be more inspired by how many people keep putting their hands up to help us. And whether it's actually individuals just wanting to make donations, or whether it's people putting their hand up to, to volunteer, we're seeing so many people come out of the woodwork to actually get involved with us and in fact it's, it's actually created another administrative role within our organisation just to manage the amount of communication that's coming through for people wanting to help. So with that uh, we're really pleased to see that and hopefully through the, the work that we're doing every day engaging those communities to help us we are going to start to see some change but certainly there's a lot more work to be done. Um, thank you very much, the four of you, because um, the, your range of experiences and where you work um, are very integral to um, helping Auckland address these issues, and um, so I, I'm looking forward to a lively discussion. Um, whilst we want to um, traverse the big issues and the longer scale, um, I thought it would be worth starting um, just for a bit of a reflection about these two targeted rates. Um, I gave you a, a far too many numbers. There's just a very simple concept there behind them to discuss, which is um, at a time when um, the council's budget uh, has got so many demands on it uh, and 
debt levels are such it can't increase those very much. Um, and there will be a few new taxes like regional um, uh, fuel uh, tax and the rest. But there still needs to be more money. So this idea that um, uh, to put a proposition to the people of Auckland uh, with a targeted rate um, on these two issues of um, uh, cleaning up um, stormwater and thus beaches uh, and dealing with Kauri buyback, dieback and um, some of the um, uh, other ecological issues we have. Let me just get a sense from each of you on, on the in, in the panel, any, any order you wish, uh, as to the merits uh, and the sort of basic uh, practicality of approaching um, issues in this way. Um, any takers on that? Yeah, I'm a taker for that question. Um, yeah, so I absolutely think we need a targeted rate. And if you um, peel back in your DeLorean, as someone mentioned before, you go backwards in time. When we were Auckland Regional Council, we had a targeted biosecurity rate that was about the same as probably more than option B now. And I'm told that there were, you would be very hard-pressed to find a letter of complaint or a phone call about that money being spent on pest control in the Auckland region. And I think what's happened is we've now um, had some of that uh, pest control and biodiversity money stripped out and diverted to other places. So really we've had funding decline by about 15%, which um, means that we're losing stuff. And we have ecosystems, rare ecosystems, that are going to go under. So make no bones about that. So we really need to ring fence some of this and to make up some of the ground that we've lost in our environment or we're just going to keep seeing it decline. So I would, in fact, not be taking option B. I would be asking for more. The most of the environmental uh, targeted rate would be going to um, putting, implementing the regional uh, pest management plan and to do that properly, we would probably need about $60 uh, per year. And uh, I can talk about later exactly why I think that, but we'd better let someone else have a turn. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, Nicola. I'll jump in. Um, so I'm definitely not an economist, so feel free to, put, to pile on at any time. But um, what I do know about uh, in, when you have an asset is that you invest strategically in that asset to ensure a sustainable return over time. Have I got that? Yeah, that's great. Right. So, um, so when you have an asset in Auckland, like, for example, your amazing parks and your Hauraki Gulf, and, you know, I sort of cheekily said on Twitter earlier, part of this is about story, right? Like, rather than calling yourselves the city of sales, why aren't you calling yourselves the city of Wales? Um, yeah. You know, when you've got those assets all around you, it's not a lot to invest strategically in it now to ensure a sustainable return. I heard earlier today that some kiwi that were released in the Hunua Ranges, which is um, a project, I think, here, um, have already lost two to pests. So I'll, I'll tell you, since 70% of people think it's sunshine and lollipops out there for our nature, here's the real statistic about kiwi. Where we don't do pest control... 19 out of 20 kiwi chicks don't survive to one year of age. So anywhere we're not doing pest control, we'll, kiwi are going extinct. 
And that's our national birds. I'm not quite sure what we're going to call ourselves when we go backpacking and go visiting around the world. So um, to me, it, I, you know, I'm not necessarily sure of the ins and outs of the numbers, but I do know the importance of investing strategically now to make sure that you hold on to the thing that defines you as a city and as a region. Thanks. Uh, wow, this is, this is like... The only part of me that's disappointed is that there won't be controversy <laughs> up here. Um, so just to pile on a little bit um, to what Nicholas says, and hopefully I'll divert and then create some sort of uproar. Um, I think that's a really important point to underscore. And I think it's something that we're starting to do at Auckland Council and in Auckland in general, but we need to get better at in talking about investing in an asset and to thinking about things more than in just dollar terms. That's something that worldwide, we're starting to see a shift there. We're starting to see our, federal, our, our, our central government to talking to us about how we want to measure more than just financial return. It's about natural capital, human capital, industrial capital, and intellectual capital. There's a whole range of things we can measure that we need to actually add value to um, and not extract from. So I think that concept is really, really sound. And I think when we talk about things like targeted rates, it does a couple of other things. It actually makes it really transparent on council, what are we spending your precious money on? And do you agree with that? You know, you should all go to have your say right now and actually make sure that your voice is heard because if you disagree with us, please let us know. We should be um, deciding on our investment based on a much clearer connection between what we spend and what your values are and what you want us to spend your money on. Um, that, that also means a couple things. It means stop doing the dumb stuff. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to get myself fired here, but I think, um, you know, <laughs> We're still not, we, do, we still don't have it perfectly right. And we actually need reminders of that. We, of course, it's nice to hear when we're doing things right. But we need reminders when we're actually not getting it right. Um, and if we're wasting money or actually spending money on things that are so 1950s, and if I were going to channel Patrick Reynolds from the previous Auckland conversation in the same chair, I'd sort of say the same thing. Do we need to invest more in motorways if the future is in cycling and PT and walking? Um, so let's stop doing the dumb stuff. And then I think the last thing that I just wanted to add, too, and, and it's really a shout-out. Um, I hate to shamelessly do this, but to Alec Tang, who's dutifully twittering right there, um, tweeting, sorry. Um, Alec and I and the finance team brought something to the finance committee last week, um, and counselors, including Penny Hulse, who's sitting in the audience and gets to close all this down, voted um, to note. Um, it was just an information um, piece, actually, but it was about green bonds. And it was signaling that Auckland Council is exploring. We haven't committed. We haven't said we're definitely doing this. But I certainly would be um, watching the news in the next couple months. Um, what does it look like to align how we ask people to invest in us with the outcomes we want to deliver? And if we start shifting the market to say, look, you're investing in council because actually we're a pretty good investment. We've got a good rating. And you're going to be getting these outcomes for climate, for biodiversity, for environment, for social. It's really a great thing for investors, it's a great thing for Auckland, and it's a really good thing for New Zealand on the global stage. Thanks. Um, Hayden? I guess just to add a little bit to that, I think to try and put in perspective, and I can only talk on, on my behalf with the work that we're doing and what we're seeing out on the coast, and that is for a global population, there is not a single person alive on the planet that is ever going to see the oceans free of plastic. We need to do everything we possibly can to increase the capacity for cleaning it up, turning the tap off with rubbish coming down through our stormwater systems. We need to make sure that children and just the general public are educated and made aware of what this issue is to help them change their daily habits when they go shopping and just at home and you know, 
encouraging people to, to stop and pick up one pl piece of plastic a day. There's, there's so many sort of basic fundamentals that we need to work on and the funding to support all of this, that, that plays a big part of it. Uh, we certainly have to think about looking after our waterways for certainly future generations in front of it because we do want to leave it in a better state than what we've certainly got it in at the moment. Right. Yes. Just because just I wanted to mention water, and it occurred to me before. So I, I lived in Dunedin for nine years, and while I was there working, I had my first job there in the Department of Conservation, we opened a tussock grasslands park up behind the city to Papua Nui. And it was a little bit odd for people. It's not the bush, and so, you know, why would we be locking up this, you know, this grassland? It supplies 60% of Dunedin's clean water. So... All we had to do was make it a park and look after it. We didn't have to put in, you know, crazy infrastructure. There's a story from New York about the catch catchment in New York and the forests that they protected there to ensure their water supply. There. Some of this is actually just about changing the way we think and looking at these services that, that the stuff we look after can provide. Thank you. Now, I just want to um, test the sense of um, this because we've obviously got people who are great supporters here. Is there by any chance um, anybody in the House from the Taxpayers' Union or the Ratepayers' Union who would like to offer a, a counterfactual about the merits of a targeted rate? I suspect there wasn't, so um, I will try to um, uh, um, offer a view that they might have. The first one is, if this was so important, the Council should prioritise it amongst its other spending. Any view on that? Um, okay, so I think this really adds in with what's already been said about investing, and I think it's not being prioritised. And if any of you saw Hurricane Harvey and what it did to Houston, Texas uh, last year, that was highly exacerbated, the impacts of that flooding, by the fact that they'd removed the wetlands and created more concrete and impervious surfaces. We've got climate change coming at us, and it's here. How are we mitigating flood? Probably flood is one way that we're going to have to, um, I guess, get hearing about the environment and, and vegetation. Vegetation sucks up water. Soil sucks up water. If you have lots of concrete, water runs fast and it can't go down, it just goes into the storm water, taking all the plastic with it out into the ocean as well. So if we're looking at water, if we're looking at storm water, instead of just hard infrastructure, we actually need to get out of our silos and start putting environment around everything and looking at how we can integrate these because that will actually save us money and this is why um, in places like Portland, Oregon, um, they have rebates for people who have trees in their backyard. 40, you can get $40 per tree, right, for 15 metres in your backyard because they understand the services that these trees and vegetation provide to the city's infrastructure. So that's why we need to prioritise environment. Um, another um, argument might be... Um I've got a next-door neighbour who's, uh, well, an elderly couple. Uh, they've lived in that house for 30 years. Um, they're retired. Uh, that house is now vastly more valuable than 
what they originally paid for it. Um, and on their limited retirement income, the last thing they need is a special rate like this because they are not going to be the people going down to the beach to have a swim. Um, so they don't, it's not important to them. Oh, it looks like I get to answer that one. Uh, no, um, no. I, so, yeah, so look, well, right. No, I think, I think there's this larger... Um, we need to do a better job at building trust and how we deliver infrastructure, like we were just talking about, and outcomes for people. And I think Margaret had a great piece today. I forget, was it in your blog or something? Uh, or in the news, I'm sorry. Um, about, this is about environment, and we're all here because I think we actually give a rip about it, um, which is great. This is a big crowd. Um, we also care about people, and I think that, that's often lost from the conversation, that we're really talking about outcomes that matter for um, health and well-being. So even if you don't use an asset directly, like extract from it, um, you're probably gaining some benefit from that. Now, I won't go, I, I'm tempted to kind of deter into the, the, the subject of should we have captured the value of that home um, and the uplift and the benefits that people are getting when they suddenly see that they're making more on their, on their property than they are with, with their salary? Um, that's another issue about urban development, how we actually capture money to do good work with it um, that I think is worth exploring. We missed the trick on that one with the unitary plan. But I think we need to build back that trust and actually talk about um, not just what specifically uh, you know, the benefit is for you or specifically the project that gets you from A to B on a transport system, but wider outcomes, um, you know, uh, a broader delivery of the things we actually probably all care about. Thanks. Uh, Nicola. This idea that the environment is some other thing, it's like that Clark and Dorr, the amazing episodes where, where they talk about the front falling off the boat and it's fine because they've towed it outside the environment. You know, like... That, that we somehow sit apart from it just fascinates me because we are a part of it. We are, you know, we are part of the biodiversity of the environment. And, uh, you know, as for the, the, the elderly couple in this um, hypothetical scenario, they might not see the benefits of it, but I guarantee they'll be worried about the benefits to their grandchildren, you know, or their great nieces and nephews um, who may own a tog shop on Mission Bay, and which is failing because no one will go in the water anymore. Um, and I, yeah, I, I guess it's really important to me that we get the story right about how we actually belong to the environment. Um, and one of the things that I think has happened to us is, is this, this horrible concept of shifting baselines, right? So the things that I enjoyed as a kid are different from what my dad enjoyed or my mom enjoyed and certainly different from my grandparents and so the things that we've lost become normal to my son who's four and a half and I'm seeing the opposite of that in Wellington right now around the Zealandia sanctuary so what I'm seeing there are a group of kids who go out trapping with their parents because for the first time in a hundred years they've got kaka and teaki and hehe breeding in the city now, those little girls that I spent an afternoon trapping in a southerly, the worst Wellington southerly I've ever been in, which is saying something, um, they are not going to let those birds go because they're going to want their daughters to see that. So the baselines are starting to swing back up the other way. And I think that the, the trust you're talking about is actually the story. What's the story that we're part of and what's the story that we want to be a part of and what we want for our kids and our grandkids? And I'd just add to that around the benefits to people's health and well-being. 
So there is a lot of literature out there and evidence to show the very tangible benefits of nature and being in biodiversity, having vegetation right in the city, has to people's physical and mental well-being, particularly kids, but everybody. Um, there is being shown to be less prescriptions of antidepressants, less stress, less anxiety. These are measurable, measurable drops in blood pressure when you are walking in natural environments as opposed to concreted environments. Um, it's the old story about the, the veterans' hospitals at, after World War II when they would always have lovely gardens and they would spend time in lovely gardens. So it's kind of intuitive, but there are lots of research out there now about what we would call a green prescription and the benefits of health, um, direct health benefits to people. So I think that we don't measure those and we don't put them on the other side of the ledger. Not that I know anything about economics, but I'm sure there's ledgers involved. <laughs> um, life is all about balance sheets. <laughs> Metaphorical and otherwise. Hayden, um, it's, I'm sorry. That was well done, thank you. Standing behind you, it's hard for us to catch each other's eyes. So I, was, I think you, you wanted to say something. Um, just, just briefly, obviously... Uh, I'd actually like to put another perspective on it and talking about beings that have been on this planet for a long time, which is what it sort of started with. I actually want to talk about the 75-year-old, 80, 90-year-old turtles that are in our waters that are actually washing up on our shores with their stomach contents full of plastic. Uh, I'll use one turtle as an example that came to us and our team of experts from the Galapagos Islands. It had passed away and it was brought back to New Zealand where it had... Um, a necropsy done at Massey University and inside the stomach contents of that one turtle there was over 265 pieces of plastic that um, is what killed it but inside that, those contents there was three items that actually directly related to New Zealand. There was a Made in New Zealand sticker, there was a New Zealand Pure logo and there was a Timaru Brewery sticker. Now, we don't know whether that turtle came over to New Zealand territorial waters or whether those, that, those items moved through the oceanic currents to the other side of the Pacific Ocean. But either way, the, the elderly are being affected by this issue, however you look at it from that perspective. So, thank you. That's a fabulous story. Thank you. Um, can I um, move on in, in, um, in the next step? Um, with these two targeted rates... Um, uh, there'll be some debate around them before they um, may be adopted. And if they are adopted, there will still be some discussion around them. Um, is there a way that, uh, are there ways that we can use these as a, a conversation starters, as a way of um, expanding the discourse um, in our communities um, about environmental issues? Yeah, I think I mean, the easy answer, yes, Rod, there is. Um, I, I think we're on a journey, all of us, I think, in this um, idea of democracy and engagement and getting what we really want out of life and out of our city. And I, I think this is um, this 10-year this budget, I think, necessarily needs to be linked to, which it is, to the other part of the consultation, which is the 30-year vision for Auckland, the Auckland Plan 2050. And, and I would argue that... Um, we don't really have great confidence in the things we invest unless we know where we're going. 
And we really shouldn't have great confidence if we're just kind of trying to throw our money around, solving a problem, and kind of reacting to stuff. We need to start getting on the front foot. Um, and so that means you know, being just deliberate and really fierce in our um, uh, direction to, to the final outcome, or to at least 2050, and then we could you know, kind of recast. Um, and making sure that every single one of those investments um, builds capital, gets us the outcomes we want, and actually takes us on that journey there. That's also a journey of civic engagement. I mean, I don't know, we didn't, I'm, I'm relatively new to New Zealand, about five years. Um, I know this program has been around longer than me, and ways to engage with your community have been around for a long time. Um, but we need more of this. We need more dialogue and hopefully more people maybe even disagreeing with each other and, and sort of hashing out different perspectives. Just like we need to build more places for us to gather where there's great shady trees in our urban environment that remind us of being out in the bush where we can spend time talking about how we want to shape our city in the future. It's all really connected, um, both what we build, how we invest, the outcomes we get, and then what kind of journey we're on in terms of our own engagement. I mean, I haven't had my say yet. Let me just admit that. I've been telling people, have your say for a long time. I'm a citizen too. I need to have my say and make sure that my vision is kind of put into the thousands of people who have already come back. So please do that and, and be with us for the journey and, and don't get unpragmatic about, you know, it's all about vision and strategy. That can get pretty airy fairy quickly. But make sure we keep that in mind every time we make a decision. Thank you very much, Neil. Um, Mary. Yeah, I think one of the conversations that we need to have is around equity in Auckland. And certainly the la latest data from Auckland Council around what our urban forest cover looks like says that there's great swathes of our community that are missing out on these health benefits I've just been talking about. And it's not the leafy Epsom, Remuera suburbs, it's South Auckland, it's Massey. So it's how equitable is this connection to nature that we've got and I think, you know, this is the one of the problems I have with option B of the targeted rate is that it'll only allow council to protect 66% of its parks. And I could probably tell you which parks will get those and I can probably tell you which local parks won't get those protections. And so they'll be the ones that are overrun with weeds. And actually the people in our probably our lowest socio-economic areas don't get to go to regional parks and enjoy those. Their connection is right at their back door and they'll probably be the ones to miss out on this protection of our local parks. So um, even though I'm obviously very shy, uh, I, um, I love any opportunity for a discourse, right, and for learning. So, so for me swatting up to come here to talk to you guys um, tonight, I learned all sorts of things. Um, like, for example, more than 40% of all Aucklanders weren't born in New Zealand, which is amazing. And there are 191 different ethnicities in, in this city. Now, that presents a storytelling problem because for for um, traditional Kiwis, you know, we have that intrinsic connection to the nature because we like the nature. But perhaps for people from other cultures, it's not so much about the feathers and it, maybe it's more about sacred places. You know, maybe there's a way we're telling this story that we're not reaching all of the citizens. And, and, and that comes back to equity as well. Um, the other thing I quickly wanted to touch on was um, my constant challenge with any environment kind of story is, is that 
you've got to walk a fine line, right? So on the one hand, you don't just want to tell happy, happily ever after stories all the time because people disconnect and turn off, and I think we've seen that in New Zealand. 70% of people think it's all hunky-dory. But you don't want to completely bum people out. And, and like, I can't read a story about climate change because it's, I feel helpless. One of the little things that I have seen, I'm not saying it's the only thing, because it certainly won't help the critters that live in Sutton Salt Lake in central Otago, but one of the little things that I've seen that gives people hope and gives them action and gets them out doing the health in the, in the outdoors, this idea of trapping in your backyard. And we are seeing in, in other cities, and here I know there's, someone told me there might be a thousand community groups in Auckland alone doing that kind of work. Um, we're seeing real results, and we need that work. And in and, and my tiny little town of Waipara, which is 150 households, all my hunting, shooting, fishing, farming um, neighbours have said they absolutely want to come and help me trap a 30 hectare um, uh, reserve on our local hill. So it's something that people can get engaged with and learn more about their environment and see real results. And we need to, because in the last month we had a supposed cat on Territory Martingi Island, a definite stoat, uh, sorry, on Rangitoto and Motutabu, a definite rat on Tiri and a stoat on Rangitoto. So we have to be vigilant and we can all do that and have a little bit of hope. Thank you. And um, for the 17 years that I've been involved with this project, and it's certainly more than a, a lifetime for actually some of the volunteers that were out with us on the water today, um, we're actually still just ringing the bell on this problem and trying to raise the awareness for it. There's so many people that have no idea what we are facing. So that's the biggest challenge for us at the moment, is making sure that we're actually able to communicate. So the fact that conversations are starting to happen, um, that's a, a great thing for us, because the more we talk about the issue, the more we can actually raise that awareness and educate people about it to start making those changes to help us do what we're trying to do. Thank you, guys. Thank you. One last question in this round before we uh, go out to questions from the floor. Um, I'm just looking for a, a few big ideas uh, uh, from us uh, here uh, up with the panel and myself about how to um, try to in, in bring these issues more strongly into the 10-year plan and the 30-year plan. Um, the consultation time is very short. It closes March 28th. Um, and um, obviously there'll still be some chances later to put some more stuff in, but how can we really, you know, elevate this message uh, in, in appeal and volume and scale and everything Jesse else? Mulligan said to me when he interviewed me on the radio today, budgets sound boring. Why well, should I? You know, and I think that's the problem because I'm an ecologist and budgets sound boring to me too. And, um, and so I think there's a lot of high-level stuff going on here without giving people tangible real things that are going to happen that inspire and grab people's imagination. So to me it's worrying that there's high level stuff and we need story and outcomes and tangible things that people can grab, I think. So if we built something into the 30-year plan, um, such as um, uh, committing the Auckland region to playing its part in a predator-free New Zealand, um, and paint that picture of what happens when we create sanctuaries um, for our native birds over here on the mainland, away from Tiri Tiri. So they start to have um, um, landing sites where they can build out. Is that the sort of thing that would uh, really bring some life to these issues in the 30-year plan, and indeed the 10-year plan? 
So of course I couldn't disagree with that being a council employee, but I will, um, and say that what we um, have put out is a, I mean, of course I was part of it, and it, it, I'm quite proud of where we've landed in terms of what the strategic 30-year vision is for Auckland. Um, however, if we don't measure it, it doesn't matter, and if we don't get more specific about where we're, where we're going, we can't paint uh, the story and the narrative, and we can't link to some of the things you've said, Rod, about you know government's going to net zero. What does net zero look like for Auckland? That's a really hard target, easy to understand, and actually tells us the amount of urgency and attention we need to deliver to this. So I think, hopefully, with the consultation process, we'll get a bit of a reminder that, yep, we like the big connected uh, picture. That makes sense. Put some real commitment to it. Thanks. You mentioned earlier that I might be able to talk about how I was up releasing Takahi yeah. a couple of days ago, and so I will, because, um, because the, yeah, I know it's on zero, Shh, don't look. Um, so the Department of Conservation has a real problem now with our threatened species. So our greatest problem right now, we know how to make them, we're pretty good at making the big things, the big feathery things that you all love, the kakapo and the takahi and that kind of thing, we've got nowhere to put them. We're running out of room to put these things and we, we face the, the, the risk of losing them all over again. Auckland would be the easy, apart from the fact that, you know, being a Southlander, this pains me to admit this, but you are, you know, by virtue of your population and where you are, the, the, the driver of everything that happens here in New Zealand, you have the best opportunity of any city in the country to be predator-free. And you've got all those treasure islands in the Hauraki Gulf, which could be seeding things over here, and you could have... Do you know that kākāpō were one of our th um, third most common birds, apparently? It's common as sparrows. And the explorer Charlie Douglas talked about arriving here and shaking a tree and having nine or ten kākāpō fall down like apples. <laughs> and by 1990, there were 51 left. And it's taken us from then until now to get to 149, and now we've run out of room. So um, because of the ismith and because of the short distances between the edge of the city and because of the replenishment and the, the Waitakere Ranges, you have the best opportunity to be the, the first kind of predator-free bursting with biodiversity. There's your strategy. There's your narrative. Be that, be that town. Um, and at the same time, do the same for, the, for your amazing Hauraki Gulf, your oceans. And, and that's, that's your opportunity for, you know, a few bucks a year. Why not? Thank you very much indeed. Now, time for questions from you all. Um, uh, the people with microphones, I've got lots of hands up. And um, meanwhile, can I just see, please, what's coming through on Slido? It's always a great moment here. Oh, this is going to be hard to read. Um, right. Questions. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Thank you. I've got the wrong glasses on. That's much better. Um, well, uh, let's go for the first one. Uh, will a pipeline to take sewage overflows and treated wastewater out past the Manukau Bar be looked at rather than continuing to pollute the Manukau Harbour? Now, there's probably only one person on the panel who has any particular insight into that. <laughs> John. And we'll still be looking for him or her. So, so look, I can't speak to the specifics of the Healthy Waters team's work, but I could tell you this, is that um, we've started to fundamentally change how we think about wastewater. Um, we've fundamentally changed how we think about stormwater. Um, and 
I can't give a yes or no to that question, but I can say we need to, to not think about how to take the waste somewhere, but how to actually integrate it into the city fabric that we are, meaning stormwater doesn't get flushed out just like our toilets. It's actually used, it actually percolates, it serves a purpose. And we have the kind of green infrastructure in our city that not only takes care of that as a service, because it's invaluable and probably cheaper than doing it by mechanical means, it's actually a whole host of benefits to people. Um, because those trees and those green places, just like Te Aonga, Oakley Creek, are great places to just sit next to and be. So I'd like to say that let's go further than that. How do, where do we take the problem? And actually, don't create the problem in the first place. Think about new creative and integrated ways of actually creating a benefit from the problem. No, I'll uh, still have poop. I understand that. But <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I think you got right to the heart of the issue. Um, piping it out beyond the Manico Harbour Bard solves nothing because um, we're still degrading a different environment. So You're taking it out of the environment. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, th thank you. We got great clarity on that one. So um, the ne the ne uh, I'm going to the second one down. What level of risk has been determined as acceptable for Cowrie? Any, uh, if there's anybody in the room who knows the answers to these questions, please do jump up and give us the answer. Um, do, does, is there anybody in the room who can give us a, a sort of a sense of um, that sort of calculation is on cowrie? We don't know what the risk is. I, I think one of the issues is that the science isn't quite there for Cody at the moment, and we know um, how it's spread and probably the rate of spread. And I think of part of the strategy really is looking at um, trying to. Um, exclude dieback from particular areas and scaling that up and trying to look at the priority priorities for um, where we should be trying to exclude from while the science catches up on um, what we can do for Cody in particular, but also for other um, plant pathogens. And I see another question on there that um, also important to remember that Cody trees their southern, natural southern limit is the Waikato. So they, have, they don't occur countrywide, answering that question. But certainly it is a government issue in terms of its numerous uh, councils and Ministry for Primary Industries currently has um, supposedly a major role in that. Thank you. There's a couple of other um, specific questions around this subject. Uh, the first one is about whether the council um, is going to um, take practical steps to, um, to make sure they keep mature, um, healthy cowrie trees standing. And the second one related to it um, is uh, whether the council is really, really committed um, to maintaining the um, integrity of the, the rahui, the areas that are, are um, that they're trying to cordon off. Is, is there anybody in the audience who can... Um, yeah, thank you, Penny. Uh, that's um, uh, uh, Penny House, um, leader of, on, in the Council on Environment and Things, and the answer is yes to both. Thank you. Um, let me go down, jump down to the bottom um, of what I'm seeing on the screen here. Uh, what do the panel think of key priorities? Uh, what are the key priorities for reducing uh, carbon emissions in Auckland? Ooh, me, please, please. Um, <laughs> how long do you have, people? Um, so look, I think just to keep it really tight here, um, as Mayor Goff said, 40% uh, of our emissions actually come from transport. 
if we just kept it in that box, it'd be like, right, let's just figure out how to electrify transport. Now that's part of the solution, but it's actually not the whole part of the, the whole solution. Um, transport, as you might know, is linked to things like land use and how we plan our city. And so the very way we plan our current urban infrastructure, city, and future city is probably the biggest material thing to do for carbon emissions. So if we're gonna plan future growth areas, if we're gonna refurbish buildings, if we're gonna build an, uh, more transport choice, we have to do so thinking about climate change with every single decision. And that's actually something I believe the governing body put forward as a proposal um, in the council controlled organization accountability policy is actually to, to make sure that the CCOs deliver on climate change adaptation and mitigation. So I'd say transport and land use is a key place to focus. Now, there's a whole lot more that's connected to that. Imagine that it's not just an electric vehicle, but it's a mobile battery pack that can reduce peak load when you plug it into your house and it's connected to a system that works to, you know, uh, it, it, the, the way to make this an ecosystem of solutions is very easy. Um, we just need to get on and do it. Thanks. Um, any other takers on mitigation of emissions in the city? Okay. There's a, a, a question that um, I had earlier, but I'll bring in here because it comes back to that land use issue. Um, some 27% um, of um, soils in the Auckland region are um, of the highest um, quality, uh, particularly for growing things, um, and yet we are um, still spreading out uh, pretty rapidly. We're still a, a far less dense city than even Los Angeles. Um, do we have any confidence that the unitary plan um, is going to slow that down in any way, particularly with the housing minister who has his eye on rural far south parts of the city? <laughs> um, I'll be looking to Penny to make sure that I go as close as I can between now and getting fired. Um, <laughs> so, so look, this is a complicated one because it's a conversation and a dance we've been doing with central government for a long time. Um, I think it's a very positive one because we're learning quite a bit from it and it's not a simple answer here. I think as the key champion really for the unitary plan, Councillor Hulse takes a huge amount of credit for the upzoning, the intensification, and the really hard decisions we had to make about making our city more dense, and at the same time making it more livable. And so it doesn't come with a let's just crowd more people in, it, crowds, it, it comes with how do we create the amenities like the urban infrastructure, the green infrastructure, the street trees, the transport choice, that actually make that not just tolerable, but actually a lot of fun and enjoyable. Um, so I think the unitary plan is one step in that direction. I think for us to believe that it got us all the way there is false. Um, I think if we were going to copy other cities out there in the world that have said, we want to grow in population because we see the benefits, we want to that every single one of us in this room subsidize to the tune of roughly $110,000 a greenfield dwelling. Now, I don't really want to be spending my rates money subsidizing the infrastructure for the greenfield areas. That's not what I want my money spent on. So tell us that, please. If I can just add on to what John said, it really is astounding that we are behind the world and the world's cities. And if you take somewhere like Singapore, you couldn't get something more dense than that in terms of um, human population density. And they, I guess, have a different regulation system than us, but they have a rule that you can only increase population density and add in more buildings at the same rate you add green space. 
And that makes developers have to get clever. And we're not doing that. We're just sticking things in houses and car parks in as fast as possible without using our Kiwi ingenuity or even overseas ingenuity. We're just doing fast and bad, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not trying to trump you on that one. I'm using that in a lowercase t term. Um, the, um, but in a sense, it's worse than that because uh, there is um, a couple of fabulous projects going ahead in um, Singapore at the moment uh, based on that very great principle, you cannot expand unless you match the green. So, um, and Becker, uh, our wonderful firm of um, engineers just up in the old uh, regional council building, are, are deeply involved in those projects. So we actually have that expertise at, up the road is the, is the, um, um, uh, the um, atrocity of this. Sorry, I'm not sure that's the right word. Mm. Right. Um, can, I, can I just add a quick thing, Rod? I, yeah. I know I've been taking a lot of time here, but the, there's a piece in our Auckland um, from Penny today, and there's a piece from me yesterday about saying growth doesn't have to be all negative consequences. In fact, we can use growth as a catalyst to get better outcomes. And I think that point has been made by the panelists, but we've, we've actually, that's in the Auckland plan, at least the proposal. So it'd be really nice to hear a response to that. If we're going to be growing as a city and population and GDP, how do we harness that growth to get better outcomes and not just hold the line on sustainability and make sure we get less bad, but actually make things better and restore environments and restore places that we all live? That's possible. Thank you. Um, now, oh, sorry, yes, thank you. I'm, um, thank you, gentleman there with the, oh, sorry, no, the lady's got the microphone, thank you. Hello, yes, can you hear me? Yes, yes yeah, okay. that's great, thanks. I'm um, Claire Stevens. I'm from Forest and Bird on the North Shore. Um, and just firstly to say that uh, the documents are up on our website, so we're encouraging everybody to participate in, this, in the conversation around uh, the two plans. Uh, and um, I absolutely endorse all of the things that you've said. Um, my question is around the advocacy to get change to the protected trees um, legislation. So at the moment we've got a situation where um, the, the previous government cut out um, any protection for trees that are already growing. So it's lovely to have the million trees and we are making um, use of that, but um, we actually want to keep the trees that are already there and are doing the job that they should be doing. So um, are you advocating to government to put that protected trees and legislation back in place? The answer to that is yes, and our research group has been looking at the the ineffectual um, protection we have now. And of course, the council has its hands tied, as do all councils around New Zealand, by the changes to the RMA made by central government. So a lot of, of course, people are blaming councils for this, but the councils are scrambling to fix it. Um, the latest I have heard, and I have been approached by uh, people in the uh, Labour Party are putting together a bill as we speak to return urban tree protection. So I'm looking forward to helping where I can with that, but I think it's looking positive that it's being prepared as I understand. Thank you. Uh, yes, thanks. 
Um, good evening. My name is Michelle Whitaker, and I wanted to do a little tiny plug because um, one of the other plans that's out for consultation at the moment is the waste management and minimisation plan for council. And we had some really good discussion there about plastics. And if people in the room um, care about the subject, one of the questions in the submission form and one of the things in the in the waste plan is that. Um, about product stewardship. And um, now's a really good time to talk about circular economy and product stewardship, and we've had a change of government, and it's a really good time to put forward your thoughts um, on, on that subject. And um, question five in the submission form talks about product stewardship, do people support it, and um, also about container deposit legislation. And as a ratepayer of Auckland, I just can't wait for just one tipping point of one system to change, which would show the whole everybody that we don't have to have that linear economy. And um, all the councils in the country are advocating to government at the moment. So um, after hearing about the plastics and the turtle that were 100% pure New Zealand <laughs> branded, um, yeah, I'd really encourage people to have a say on the waste plan. Fine, thank you. Rod, um, can I, I just wanted to jump in uh, with yes, please my do. own example there about the plastic, um, because that, terror, that horrified me, made me cry a little bit, but um, there's a lovely lady in the audience who told me that she loved the Royal Cam, the Albatross camera that, that the Department of Conservation put up a couple of years ago. Um, we found, though, that with the Albatross out at Tyroar Head in Dunedin, sure enough, the parents are coming back from out at sea where they go for a couple of days to collect up the fish to feed their chicks and they're feeding their chicks pure plastic. And so the chicks' bellies fill up with plastic, they starve, they die. So um, it is a problem affecting a wide range of species and it feels like it's not that hard to, to kind of... We could stop doing a lot of that stuff now. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen there, thanks. We, uh, we have the America's Cup coming here in a few years. We've learned that the Haraki Gulf is in real trouble. The question to the panel is what could council and associated organisations do to use the America's Cup to focus and, if possible, contribute to, to helping the Gulf? And a classic example of this is the way in which the Volvo has focused on plastic. It got more publicity than actual competitors. Here we have a, a golden opportunity. What do the panel think? Uh, a little bit. Thank, thank you for that. Um, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I'd love to see the ability for us to, to leverage in that space to use the whole event to raise awareness. We, we certainly know how many people around the world watch what's going on with the America's Cup. We, we love it. It's within us, us ourselves. So. If there's, there's any opportunity to make sure that the, the council and, and everyone else can um, do something in that space, we, certainly you have our support for doing so. Um, but I think it would be good to know where the actual home base for the race is going to be first. Uh, yes. It's a really good question. I think it's, it's really about foresight and thinking about those opportunities that we can use that are catalysts for change. We're going to be on the world stage, right? Um, just like Rugby World Cup. And the, the way that we can show that we don't just care about this because we're better educated, but actually we prove it with our infrastructure. We prove it with every person that comes to watch or watches from afar can see that 
the way New Zealand and the way Auckland works is one that is circular, that has transport choice, that is fair for their people, that actually delivers those outcomes in a way that's tangible. And so I, I would say the America's Cup, you know, once we decide the base, which I think is, from what I, I'm told, pretty soon, um, we can actually get working on what are those things we need to bring forward to invest in that, that showcase those things we need to do. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could walk up Queen Street on a grassy lawn that only had light rail and a few people on bikes go by, you know, I mean, and, and do that in a couple years. I mean, things like that that can transform the city and show the world that we really mean business. Wouldn't it be great that when, if all the people that came to see the America's Cup racing weren't using single-use plastic drink bottles? of which I spy a few. Um, um, you know, it's, it, that narrative needs to start now. Now, not, not to Skype, I'm going to. Tomorrow morning, I'm taking the first man out um, to see a marine reserve, and I've been instructed to bring water in a reusable bottle for very obvious reasons. You know, like, that, it's a part of our story. It's not that hard for each of us to start that story. Thank you. We've got some questioners down here. Thank you. The first mention that I think we've had of you know how to prevent stuff rather than how to cope with the consequences, and I was beginning to get a bit frustrated that you know I think we're all agreed on the end point we want to get to, which is what we've concentrated on. The question is how we get there. Uh, I'm a rather annoyed resident of Waiheke Island because we see the council as not really uh, having our interests at heart, and we're talking about adding rates adding money to our rates so that uh, we have to then trust the council that they do the right things. In my case, I've twice uh, given substantial amounts to fighting uh, to marinas, which the council have allowed and has gone to court. Um, the second one, I'm looking at you, because the second one, which has just been to court, uh, it threatens not only Maori land and local species and blue penguins, etc., as well as annoying residents, you know. So here are decisions which are being made which are going to lead to consequences where you're going to say you want more money later. And same with plastics, you know. All, all, most of Waiheke uh, have got their own bags and there's lots of ladies sew bags, etc., so that people don't use plastic bags. Uh, uh, but it would just take one um, biscuit manufacturer to take out one tray or one butcher to stop, you know, for, to counteract all of that effort that individual people make. So what is the council going to do to stop some of these happening as well as, you know, using our rates to mitigate the effects? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm going to give John time off on this one because you're not, you're not here to answer, answer can, all can the Can you come and talk to me afterward at least, just because I can give you yeah. a good honest answer. But yeah. are, are there any other responses well, to that question I around this? perhaps not specifically around the marina, but in terms of um, things to do and be positive, I would have to say that I have read a lot of regional pest management strategies and plans over the years and this one that the Auckland Council team have produced is a step change. It is technically brilliant and will be a great use of that. If we can get $60 to implement it fully, we can actually protect a lot of stuff and we can save stuff. And I think that it is evidence-based, it will make a change, they just need the resources to put this into action. 
So I would think that's a very positive thing. We just need to tell the narrative about what we can do. And the 47, the option B is not enough. We're only going to get 66% of our parks protected. And that's just going to mean we lose stuff, lose ecosystems. If, if I may add to that as well, and I think certainly bringing reusable bags to the supermarket is one thing, but actually seeing now what we have just had in the last few months take place across some pretty big corporate industries with respect to um, take foodstuffs and, and New World supermarkets and, and what they're doing to eliminate the, the plastic bag, to actually encourage that change. And, and that's the first step within those big corporate sectors with driving that change. What comes next is exactly getting the, the biscuit manufacturers or the, or the bread manufacturers to change their packaging. And it has to be led not only by the council within this, but actually by, um, one, the consumer, but two, the corporates that are producing these products as well. We've got to encourage that positive change too. Thank you. And can I just and say keep going? Um, you, you know, we're not going to agree on everything. Of course we're not doing everything right, but I think the, the fact that if you can get people on your side and organize, have your say, and have a voice, and, you know, we're going to have to listen. And you might help us correct some mistakes we're making. So please keep going with that. Um, can we please take two more, last two questions? We've got, uh, I'm spotting two ladies down there. Oh, that, three questions, because there's that gentleman there, and I'm seeing two ladies down here. So I'm sorry, I'm ignoring people out on the wings here. Um, I apologize for that. Three last questions, thank you. Rod, um, I was the first one to clap you for your introduction. And <laughs> I was impressed by everything you said. But primarily when you suggested that Auckland could become self-sufficient in food. Mm. Now that is not a pipe dream. And the Auckland Council did at one time, in 2012, have as its motto, imagine a city living on scraps. Amazing, or fantastic, or brilliant, or something like that. Now, um, things have changed because now in the draft waste plan, they intend for the scraps to be trucked out of the city. Out of the city. So they've gone from saying they should be composted in the city to be composted out of the city. Now I made a submission to the 2012 um, uh, waste management committee that was rationalizing the waste plans for all of the 14 different councils. And I said exactly that to them, that that was a great plan, a, a city living on scraps. And they agreed. And when they had adopted the plan, they asked me to come and tell them how to implement it, because I'm a composter. And uh, I was told that there was a big truck brigade in the council who would oppose what I said. And we now have a draft plan where it seems the big truck brigade has prevailed. Um, I thank you for recapping this really important history. Yes. But now, can we just get okay. to so a, if a we, question? So please. we have 120,000 tonnes of food waste that under the current plan is going to be trucked out of the city. Uh, that's curbside food waste. There's 160,000 tonnes of commercial food waste. Look, I, I'm sorry to press you, but yes. I promised three so why, people so that we're why, very why, short of time. Why, please. why are we planning to truck this food waste out of the city when you could turn it into uh, 35,000 tonnes of compost every year, which would give you 10,000 tonnes of 
of carbon and nutrient to go in the soil and it would grow. Thank you. Can I just stop you at that point? Because I think we're getting the message that there's a great resource here that's going to yes. be lost. Yes. Any response, well, well, why please? Why are we using it? Any response, please, from the panel? And uh, can thank I also you. Ask no, sorry. This? I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I need to be strict because I yes. promised two more people. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, some response to that, please. I think just briefly, I think I agree with you that waste equals food, and we need to be as efficient and ingenious as possible at using what we waste. So we eliminate the concept of waste. I think there might be differing opinions on the trajectory of how to do that. So I think there is a vision there somewhere where we do live off scraps. I personally believe that's a, that's a thing. Um, we love to use worms in our backyard. Um, it works really well. Um, however, I think there's a, there's a, a bit of a rocky path to get there, um, I should say. And maybe we could chat about it afterward because I think we're still figuring out the right way to get to where we really ultimately need to land. Thanks. Um, um, the microphone here for this lady there and then the lady over there, thanks. Thanks, Rod. My name's Lynn Dawson. I, I mean, I asked the question, and maybe I even asked the question of the audience. Who's been to the supermarket this week and had to use a single-use plastic bag? I did. I took my own bag, and then I had to take another one. That's, that's what I'm saying, Nicola. You know, why can't we ban these plastic bags now? First of May, no more. Why, why is there always this delay situation? I guess the economists might have a, an answer to that. Uh, I'm a business journalist, not an <laughs> economist. I'm not ducking the question. It's, uh, it is completely obvious that we should be doing it. I'm not going to even ask the panel to respond. I, we're with you all the way on that. We just need to keep pushing. Lady over there, thank you. Last question. Briefly. Uh, Nicola, you mentioned about the diversity that Auckland, more than 40% were born in overseas. I'm one of them. And then, of course, uh, um, originally from Japan, our homeland had suffered lots of natural disasters as well as man-made environmental disaster. The public service could only deal with it, not private profit-seeking sectors. So, in my opinion, the more rate is better for the result. Um, I just wanted to say that I agree that there is a gap that the clean, green New Zealand image is not actually the reality. Because when we came, our tourists, new migrants say, from Japan said, because of our lesson, there were more rigid regulations for the recycling and other um, regulations for the environment. But here, people are more relaxed, which is good. But also, we see New Zealanders are taken for granted, this beautiful nature, and we must action now. So I fully support of the council initiative, and then we should be all the soldier for the environment. This is not question, but the comment. Um, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Now, just remind you about the multiple ways you can make submissions and really um, fire this up. At this point, I'm just going to offer my very brief thanks um, to, to John, to Margaret, to um, Nicola, and to Hayden, and a very big hand for them, please. And I'm just going to ask them to stay there. Um, whilst I call on uh, Councillor Penny Hulse um, to wrap things up for us. A big hand for Penny, please. Thank you. Kia ora katoa. 
What an amazing discussion this has been. And I made heaps of notes, and I thought the temptation is always to try and sort of regurgitate everything good that was said, because it was so awesome. So I'm so not going to do that. What I'm going to do is to suggest instead that we could do our budget consultation entirely differently. And we could simply say, welcome to Auckland City of Wales. For a mere $1.60 a week, twice, you can join our Give a Little page and you can save the environment and you can clean up our harbours. And I'm sure most Aucklanders, because all Aucklanders are pretty generous and awesome people, would go, that's great. Sadly, when the council asks for this, that's when you know you can feel the energy go down and people's faces change and they go, oh, I don't think so, I don't think we can afford um, $1.60 a week or $1.30 a week. And I think, as the panel said, we simply need to tell the story a different way. And I, the panel have given us some extraordinary ideas about how we can tell that story. We're all part of the future of Auckland and we can't pretend we're not. We're all part of the environment. It is nowhere else. And we all need to play our part. We simply need to tell people what they're actually buying for their dollar thirty a week. And I hasten to add the dollar thirty that I'm putting in there for the environment is the sixty $6 for the fully funded pest management strategy. Just to reassure people, please fill out your form and you can tick A or B or you can tick other and you can write, please fully fund the pest management plan and that's fine. We can code it correctly, we've got the ability to do that and we're encouraging, I'm probably inappropriately encouraging people to do that but I make no apologies. Just a couple of key points. There are, there is a lot of challenge. There's a huge amount to do. Do these two um, or these three plans that we're going out with to consult on solve everything? Of course they don't, but they go a long way to steering Auckland in a slightly new direction. Rod's right, and you made that challenge right at the beginning. There are some bits of our plans which, you know, the 70s might be ringing and saying, can we have some of our budget and our planning stuff back, please, because that's probably where some of this belongs. But, you know, it's the best that we've got for the moment. Your submissions can help make it better, they can toughen it up, and they can stretch us. There's nothing wrong with telling us what you don't like and what we can do better. But equally importantly, please tell us what you do like, because sometimes we forget that that's what our community really wants when we only hear the negative side. So it's with a huge amount of pleasure that I thank these extraordinary people. John Morrow, you will never be fired for speaking the truth and speaking truth to power, and we love you for it. That's your job, and that's why you're there. Um, Margaret Stanley, our wonderful professor, touching on our urban ngahere, the issue that you raise around equity and people's right to live in green leafy areas is so important and we're working on it. The lovely Nicola Toki, I, I am a fangirl and I am so going to get a selfie with this woman when, when we finish this, I'm just giving you, giving you warning. You are the person who brings the narrative and the story to life, and that's what we need more of. And the wonderful Hayden Smith, we've known each other for a very, very long time when this young man, and he still is exceedingly young, came to talk to Bob Harvey about the need to clean up our waterways. And I think we owe these people a debt of gratitude for what they do for us, and please, another round of applause for them. And whilst I warmly and will always thank Rod Oram for inspiring us and challenging us, you did a fantastic job stepping in. Well done, Rod. 
And finally, to all of you for taking the time to be here. There's many of you in the audience that we know. You care, you give a damn, that's why you're here. Please start those conversations, challenge your friends, make sure that people know that this isn't about someone else who's going to do this for somewhere else. It's actually about us making that change. Thank you. Good night. You've been listening to the podcast of Auckland Conversations, brought to you by Auckland Council and our sponsors Jib and Resine. For more information, visit our website, conversations.aucklandcouncil.govt.nz. Auckland Conversations is proudly produced by Tandem Studios. 